This is the business of sports. Should Major League Baseball shorten up the season? How do we present football to the audience of the future? I don't think that most players understand the power that they have. Michael Barr. The future of IndyCar racing is looking bright. Scott Soshnick. Very basic math here. More bidders means more money. Evan Novi williams The team value has essentially quadrupled. And the leaders in the sports industry. Time to bring in our guest, Hal Steinbrenner. National Hockey League Commissioner Gary Bettman. Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Patriots President Jonathan Kraft. Bloomberg Business of Sports. From Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Michael Barr. I'm Evan Novi williams And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we sit down with boxing promoter great Bob Arum. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. And let's begin with the NFL labor talks, and they're talking about everything. They're talking now, first of all, about a 17-game regular season, adding two teams to the playoffs, on and on. We've known for a while the NFL wants additional games. And do you know why they want additional games? It's because the TV networks want additional games. More NFL means more money. I'll yeah, let Evan touch on that in a second. Insert the cha-ching Yeah, cha-ching. Right here. If we had one, that would be it. <laughs> Um, right now, it, it seems as if the players are inclined, seems as if, to agree to the 17 games. They were, there were some concerns about health and safety, about playing more football, but it was their biggest negotiating chip. That was the leverage they had. They knew the owners wanted this because it means a lot more money uh, from the TV networks. In exchange, of course, the players themselves will get more money. So no deal yet. No deal yet, but it seems as if... The sides are marching toward each other instead of away from each other like the last time. Yeah, I think it's it's fair to say, and we've seen this in other sports as well, that when the media money is flush and that is the motivator, uh, it's easier to get deals done. You know, and that happened with the NBA a number of years ago, um, and it certainly seems this way with the NFL. You know, they they're renegotiating right now, starting renegotiations on you know over six and a half billion dollars. In TV deals, right? That's the ESPN deal. That's the three major broadcasts, CBS, Fox, uh, and NBC. And that's also DirecTV, the Sunday ticket deal. You know, And these major changes, adding a regular season game, adding two playoff games, two more playoff teams, uh, will give the NFL more freedom if they want to slice and dice things up, give up, give just the, the added game as an international package. Do what, what did friend of just the program, two playoff games to Apple if they want to. What did friend of the program Mark Gannis call the NFL? It was like Game of Thrones and something on steroids. <laughs> yeah, and billions on steroids every week. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, think yeah, is exactly. what he said. It's guaranteed yeah. numbers. You're going to get the eyeballs. It actually was up this past season after a couple of, of years down, but NFL programming was actually up this year on all their networks, on all their partners, so that obviously bodes well going into the new talks. And we, we spoke with media rights wizard uh, Lee Burke uh, earlier this week, and, and one, one of the things he said, just to put it in context, NFL rights were always going to go up, right? If they didn't make these changes, we're looking at 50%, 60% rights increase. With these changes, uh, maybe even doubling the rights, right? So that's a $2 billion swing just for adding that extra regular season game and adding some playoff games. So you can certainly understand why the two sides faced with the reality there might be a little more hasty to get a deal done. And the plan, if they want to add two teams to the playoffs, include that only the top seeds will get the bye. It'll be seven teams for each conference, but only the top team will get the bye as opposed to what's happening More games at the most valuable time of the year, the postseason, when people are – more inclined to tune in. No reason to think at this point 
that anybody's going to walk away from the table because these talks have been going on for a while. There were, there were no surprises in any of these things. Let's talk, since we're talking about the NFL, let's talk about two Patriots safeties. And uh, thank you to Owen Scannell because he's a friend of the show and he tweeted this to us. Uh, he would love to hear about uh, the two Patriots buying Major League Rugby. They are talking about uh, getting their uh, coins together and doing this. I think one is Patrick Chung. Correct? Yeah, Patrick Chung and the other, Nate Ebner, who, if you remember, took a break from the Patriots back in 2016 to, to play in the Olympics the first time that Rugby uh, rugby Sevens was, was in the games. Uh, they're both invested in the Free uh, Jacks. The, the, the Boston Free Jacks or the New England <laughs> New Free Jacks. New England Free Jacks. Um, Don't limit yourself sorry. to a city when you're going to have a whole region. Absolutely. That's bad marketing. The Patriots do that yeah. well. Thank you. Um, but yeah, I imagine they're, they're not. They don't have huge stakes, although the the team valuation is probably not particularly high. But yeah, they could have eighty percent of the franchise. Yeah. But you know, Major League Rugby, which launched a couple years ago. Um, you In fairness, but Novi Williams, you and I talk yeah. about this. These are some of the most active folks. I mean, the rugby folks have been coming at us hard to discuss rugby and to have some of the folks on and absolutely yeah I, I know some folks who have gone to to some of the games uh for the new york team you know which which had a great opening season um and yeah you know there, there have been attempts at, at, at professional rugby uh in the u.s before uh this one seems to be you know this is the latest obviously and and you know good luck to them uh one thing that that would concern me a little Uh-oh, bit here comes Obi williams uh, stat, stat, here comes our own stat boy um, <laughs> there, were, there was a time a couple of years ago where rugby was one of the fastest growing sports participation wise in the u.s um, and uh, recent numbers show a little bit of a dip. J- just looking at what the SFIA, the Sports Fitness and Industry Association, put out a couple days ago, um, in the past two years, rugby participation is down 15%. Um, there's about 1.4 million rugby players in the U.S. right now, which is lower than or smaller number than, than roller hockey, just because it was in the R's, and that's the sport above it. Um, but uh, that would concern me a little bit. But right now, as we talk about all the time, media is driving things. Sports media is driving things. Uh, and OTT, that is, direct to, can you make can you make a living if just on a rugby channel? Content of all sorts. Yeah. And as you said, Scott, you know, this is an avid group of people, and, you know, they support the sport a lot. So good luck to them. I could see that, though. And rugby, bless their hearts, because you talk about some rugged dudes playing this game. Oh. You, you, you thought that, at, you know, that we were, you know, just – I don't want see I see those guys. I don't want to play rugby against them. I would like to celebrate after the game with them. (laughs) That's what I That's the content you want. Yeah, yeah, that's the content I want. What else we got, Bart? Uh, let's talk about Rory McElroy and his talk to the hand moment. He is not having any of it. Tell us what we're talking about. Yeah, so you know, we talked a few weeks ago about the 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 Premier Golf League. Um and a big bid that they're making essentially to try to upend professional golf as we know it. And that is creating a smaller, fewer players and fewer events league. Guaranteed money. Guaranteed money, much bigger purses um, that is trying to essentially rival the European Tour and the PGA Tour. As we said, the only way this works is if you get the biggest names in golf to sign on. Uh, and they are having those conversations right now with a number of golfers. Rory said they're somewhat split, so it's not exactly. like there's no support. Tiger Woods has said, you know, he's listening and 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 is considering all options. I believe Rory is the first, at least the the right. big A list name who has come out and first said, "I am yeah. not." I thought Rory, joining by the way, league. was a little over dramatic with the "I want to be on the right side of history." I think <laughs> yeah, he's a little over dramatic yeah. with the. <laughs> it's, it's okay, Rory. Either way you go, I, I, history is not going to look uh, unkindly upon you. That sound you hear is the champagne popping in the PG. 
PGA Tour uh, <laughs> office right now. Yeah. This is, I, I would say, this is a pretty big deal. I mean, not to say that this, you know, can't move on without Rory, but when you have big names like him being the first to, to, to get out there and say, "Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do this." This, this maybe sets the tone a little bit. Um, but yeah, th- their big challenge is going to be getting big names to, to, to migrate over because I believe the PGA Tour. You know, it's been a you know not going to be particularly well. You can't be a PGA Tour member. Not going to be welcoming to doing both. Um, By the way, so yes, it's funny. You know, when you're a big time golfer and you make a lot of money, you can make a statement like this. McElroy says, "Money is cheap. Money is the easy part. It shouldn't be the driving factor." Well, I tell you, you put up a bunch of money for me. Uh, I'll follow you. As far as joining the Premier Golf, yeah, I'm on. Yeah, a sandwich for you. Up next on the show, Scott and Evan will speak with boxing promoter great Bob Arum. Bob Arum's been in the boxing business for decades and decades. He's worked with big names like Muhammad Ali, Marvin Hagler, George Foreman, Manny Pacquiao. He promoted the rematch between Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder in Las Vegas. Bob, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. It really is. So you're joining us on the eve of, of a pretty big heavyweight fight right now. Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, their rematch set to take place Saturday night in Las Vegas. I'm curious. It, it felt like in the 90s was the heyday of heavyweight boxing. Are you getting kind of, you know, flashbacks to that era now, now that we're sitting here in 2020 and, and a heavyweight boxing fight is again one of, one of the biggest stories in the sport? Well, you've asked me a question that makes me realize my age because <laughs> I'm looking back to 1971 when you guys probably weren't born uh, when uh, Muhammad Ali uh, undefeated, who had been prevented from fighting uh, because of the draft situation, uh, fought another undefeated guy who had taken his title because Ali had been stripped of his title Joe Fraser, and that fight took place in March of 1971 in Madison Square Garden. That was the is the fight that is comparable to the fight that we're going to see on Saturday, where you have Tyson Fury, who won the championship, was taken away because he was inactive, uh, but he's undefeated in the in his prime, and he's fighting Deontay Wilder undefeated, virtually all knockouts of his opponents, is the WBC champion. And they're both in their prime, and they're facing off on Saturday. And uh, it's really a throwback uh, to Ali Fraser because uh, they do have a blemish on the record, each of them, and that's a draw. But the draw was against each other, so... That's that's pretty good. So let me ask you that that fight, the fight when they fought a, a, a little over a year ago when they drew, w- the moment that came out draw, were you thinking immediately rematch that this is going to be an even bigger fight the second time because of how dramatic that fight was? Tyson Fury got knocked down in the twelfth round, stood back up, managed to fight his way to a draw. Uh, were you thinking immediately, man, the rematch is going to be is going to be a monster monster ticket? Absolutely, particularly as it developed that uh, Wilder's promoter, PBC, uh, had aligned itself with Fox, Mm -hmm. and uh, we were aligned with ESPN. And when both of these networks uh, decided that they would work together on the promotion of the fight, we knew we had the biggest uh, boxing match in years, uh, and certainly the biggest 
heavyweight championship match since the 1970s. So let's talk about the, the money here. I mean, you mentioned some of the media companies here, ESPN and Fox, you know, both involved here. How much money is this fight, do you think, projected uh, to, to, to put together a total, you know, gate, media, et cetera? Well, we, we uh, uh, are pricing the uh, pay-per-view in the United States at $80. And we're looking confidently on hitting 2 million pay-per-views which would be $160 million. I was getting scared for a second, Bob, but I was like, even I could do that math in my head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, and of course, the cable systems and the satellite providers uh, take off a percentage, uh, but it still would leave uh, the promotion more than $100 million from that source. The gate is virtually sold out. And it's going to come in something over $16 million. Uh, the uh, fight will be shown at 4 in the morning on pay-per-view in the United Kingdom. And they're looking uh, to do around a million homes in that time spot, which, I mean, they're, they're fanatic fans over in the U.K., and that would uh, mean another twenty million in the pot, and then there's sponsorship and closed circuit and uh, uh, foreign sales, and that we're confident will be over ten million dollars. So it's 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 a huge, huge, huge pot of money. And so one hundred and fifty million is that low? What, what do you think? I think top? I think it would. Be, I I think that's right. I think it will will be. 150 million to be divided between the fighters uh, and uh, the promoters. And our for deal folks who don't with, know, how does that get divvied up? Yeah, our our deal with um, uh, with with um, uh, PBC uh, is 50/50. We the expenses, the common expenses, uh, come off the top, of course, and then we divide 50/50. They then. Uh, uh, have a, an arrangement to compensate Wilder, their fighter, mm -hmm. which I'm not privy to. Our arrangement is uh, essentially with Tyson Fury, a 70-30 deal where he gets 70% and we keep 30, which is pretty damn good. So, so win or lose, Tyson sees the same check at the end of this thing. Am I, am I interpreting that correctly? That is absolutely correct, okay. but there's a twist here. The fighters have already agreed for a third fight, hmm. and the deal, the contract says that the winner of this fight gets 60% of the third fight, hmm. and the loser gets 40%. They're both locked in to that rematch, but the loser has the right to pull the plug and walk away from the rematch. That's what the contract says. Interesting. And and you mentioned, you know, the, the folks that over in the UK that are, that are, you know, very interested in this. There's another big heavyweight UK fighter, Anthony Joshua, just rewon some belts uh, a couple months ago. Does the does the rematch does the, the third fight of Wilder Fury does that happen before the winner gets to fight Joshua? How does he kind of mix in here because there's three really compelling heavyweight boxers right now? Well, you know, I'm not so sure about Joshua being compelling <laughs> because, because because Fat Andy Ruiz knocked him out, you know, 
and I can't, can't couldn't imagine uh, uh, either Fury or Wilder being threatened by an Andy Ruiz. So I don't know how elite Joshua really is, but he's a big name uh, over in England. Uh, but he he himself has a tough mandatory fight coming up against another of my fighters, uh, the Bulgarian uh, champion uh, Kubrit Pulev. And uh, if he uh, takes his uh, eyes off uh, Pulev, uh, Pulev is going to knock him out uh, quicker than Andy Ruiz knocked him out. Can you leverage one fighter versus the other? Say, I, I work with both, so you, can you leverage one big name, one big fighter, uh, and get opportunities for others? Yeah, absolutely. That's what you do. I mean, that's what you, you know. Uh, uh, for example, if you have uh, a, a marquee fighter, like uh, when we were promoting Manny Pacquiao and uh, Oscar De La Hoya, uh, we uh, put them in very often with fighters that we also promoted uh, because it gave those fighters an opportunity uh, maybe to win, but certainly to make a lot of money. Bob, I'm not a huge boxing aficionado, but we mentioned some dates earlier in the show. I'm a 1970-born guy, so I feel like I can talk about Ali Frazier because at least I was born. <laughs> but those are brand names that I think universally are recognized. I'm not so sure about Fury, Wilder. How do you create the sort of megastar, that sort of mythic figure of an Ali Frazier? How can that be done for the sport? Well, remember, we in those back in those days uh, were asking the same questions. I mean, how can you... Uh, make uh, Ali and Fraser as relevant as uh, Joe Lewis and Rocky Marciano. So it's, you always have that. And we did it. And now, reflecting back, those are huge, huge, iconic names. I think you see the same thing with Wilder and Fury. Wilder is a very intelligent, articulate young man with a tremendous punch. And with the publicity he's getting in this fight, uh, he's going to go on, if he wins, to even greater heights. The same thing for Tyson Fury, who's now being exposed to the American public. We did two fights for him prior to this fight in Las Vegas. He's a real character. He has a very interesting backstory. And so uh, people now are familiar with Tyson Fury, and he's becoming a household name. And look, with all the great publicity we did back then in the 70s, I have never seen anything like this with Fox and ESPN uh, putting tremendous resources into the publicizing this fight. I mean, after all, I mean, I've been around as long as there's been a Super Bowl, and I've never seen on a Super Bowl two 30-second commercials for a fight, ever, not ever. And that's what Fox gave us uh, for this fight. Uh, you watch that Super Bowl, 
there were two 30-second commercials. I mean, if we had to purchase that on the market, it would have cost us over $11 million. I was going to ask, did you pay for those or no? No. Yeah. No. Yeah, they better. They know how to promote the properties. They do it with wrestling. They know they, how to they, promote they do the it properties. Let me ask you and, something about and, promotion, and, though. And ESPN did the same thing with the college football championships. Absolutely. You know, the, the playoffs and then the final. They, they publicized the hell out of this fight. Let me ask you this, though. You're in the business of promotion, and you've worked with Ali who was probably better at promotion than anybody else in the history of sports. I'm going to ask you to do the impossible. Could you imagine an Ali figure today with all the tools available, Twitter, Facebook, the ability to talk to an audience 24-7 at will, the kind of publicity that athletes can generate? Yeah, I agree. I mean, Ali was the greatest promoter that I've ever uh, encountered. And, you know, and he he could manufacture sound bites like nobody else that I've seen. However, you have to realize that politically, uh, when Ali was fighting, uh, and even when he ended up fighting Fraser, uh, he was, uh, had been convicted of... Uh, uh, violating the secret ser- the uh, the uh, uh, service, uh, you know, not going into the yeah, the he avoided service. the draft. Yeah, avoid the draft, and even when he fought Fraser, he had been convicted, and I believe the court of appeals for the Second Circuit had affirmed that conviction, and so there was a whole political element uh, that. Now, if you imagine uh, that him fighting Fraser now for the world title. Well, Kaepernick times and 100. Have, and you have, we would have had to battle that in addition to promoting the fight. Here, fortunately, there are no political issues at all. You mentioned a little while ago, you know, the, the, the work that ESPN and Fox are doing kind of pro-promotionally. The certainly the boxing media world seems to be changing very, very quickly for a long time. You know, HBO and Showtime seem very dominant in there. Now we're seeing ESPN. We're seeing DAZN. We're seeing Fox. How different and, and how healthy do you think kind of this new model is for, for boxing media versus kind of where it was maybe a decade ago? Again, again, you know, people uh, love to ride horses and ride in horse and carriages. And uh, maybe uh, it was good because we weren't burning fossil fuel like we're burning now. But that's over. Mm-hmm. That's over. Newspapers are never coming back, really. What's a newspaper? I mean, you, you, when, when Ali and Fraser fought each other, and even 20 years later, every single major newspaper in the country had a full-time boxing writer. Now, that's no longer the case because newspapers are fighting for their lives and can't afford uh, to uh, uh, have full-time writers. Uh, But we've made up the difference uh, with all the Internet publicity, uh, with the... uh, uh, the, the the social media, that's how you communicate. 
So it's different now from what it was before. But again, when I started in in this sport of boxing, promoting boxing back in uh, 1966, there were no satellites, no domestic satellites, no international satellites. And when we had a fight of Muhammad Ali, we'd have to take the tape and fly it to London so that it could be shown the next night. Uh, the world changes, man, and you've got to keep up with the change. Bob, you want a good story? Yeah. I'm going to tell you one. So when I'm growing up, again, I told you I was born in 1970. I wanted to get involved in sports, and I loved every sport. And my sisters, my obviously my family knew all about that. Do you, do you think my sister, my older sister, would have told me that her best friend, her name was Jody Leifer, do you think that perhaps it would have been a good thing for her to tell me that Jody's father was Neil Leifer, the photographer. Yeah, good friend of mine. He took that iconic photo of Ali and Liston. Yes, and absolutely. My sister and, never and, told me. And he had a great photo, another iconic photo, when, when Ali knocked out Cleveland Williams in the Astrodome because he was an innovator. He is an innovator, Neil is. And uh, he... Uh, had an automatic camera in the ceiling so that he could press a button at ringside, and that camera took the picture of Cleveland Williams stretched out on the canvas ever after Ali knocked him out. So I, I, I am very familiar with Neil's work. He's absolutely, he is to boxing photography, uh, what Eddie Leibowitz is to social photography. Oh, nice analogy there. But tell me now, again, I started this, Bob, uh, Bob, with telling you I'm not a huge boxing fan. What can all of the stakeholders in boxing do to win me over? To say, give us a try, come back for more, you should watch us like you do the, the stick and ball sports. What can be done? Watch Saturday night. <laughs> watch this fight, Wilder and Fury. And after that fight, if you're not a boxing fan that's really hooked on the sport, I would be very surprised. This will be a really classic fight, and it will be what boxing is all about. Watch this fight, and you're going to see something really special, and that'll hook you once again on the sport. You know what I did get hooked on? And even though the fights might have been 10, 15, 20, 30 seconds, I did get hooked on Tyson because he was just such the force of nature. Would there be a market for Mike Tyson now? If he wanted to come back and fight, I, I don't care who the opponent is, would there be a market for Tyson just because people are so familiar with the brand? Look, we're not talking about tiddlywinks. We're talking <laughs> about boxing. It's a tough, tough sport. And, you know, if older people compete in the sport, particularly against younger people, they can get seriously hurt, even somebody who had a punch like Mike Tyson. So I don't think he would be licensed, and, and I wouldn't want him to be licensed. I mean, it's easy to imagine uh, older fighters, uh, because we remember how great they were when they were young, but like Hausman, 
poem to an athlete dying young. Athletes have very, very short lives in the sport. And once they've lived that life, they shouldn't be resurrected uh, to continue on because they can get hurt. So, Bob, let's talk about a, a, a not-as-old fighter, one you, you've worked with for a long time, Manny Pacquiao, uh, still fighting, hearing a lot of rumors swirling about a potential fight with Conor McGregor, maybe even a rematch with, 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 with Floyd Mayweather. Do you think either of those fights will happen in the next couple of years? Well, I, th- I don't know about the Mayweather fight, but I think it's possible that he'll fight Conor McGregor or he might fight one of the young welterweights. Now, Manny is the exception that, that proves the rule. <laughs> but remember, you know, he's forty over 40 now. And by this time, most fighters have called it a career. But, you know, he hasn't been retired. He's been fighting continuously. So if he wants to continue fighting, I wouldn't advise it. Uh, but it's, you know, not out of the norm in the sense that he hasn't uh, ever uh, retired. Uh, and he's a terrific fighter, you know, and a great, great person. And, uh, you know, uh, when they talk about social welfare in the Philippines, it's Manny Pacquiao because he gives most of his money uh, to the people. So he's a great person. And uh, I just wish him well. In, in your own words, why do you think Conor McGregor is so intriguing? For I mean, it, obviously his fight with Floyd Mayweather made a lot of money, but he is not a trained boxer. It's his only professional boxing fight ever. You know, why why is that fight so intriguing versus you know maybe someone who's been a boxer for for a longer amount of time? Well, Conor McGregor really has resonated with people. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, his last fight on UFC, which was shown on pay-per-view on just ESPN Plus, on just that outlet, uh, which now has 7.5 million subscribers, they did over a million pay-per-view uh, at $60 a pop, fighting a pretty unknown guy. I mean... To do a million one hundred thousand buys uh, on that platform uh, is absolutely amazing. So Conor McGregor is somebody who has uh, related to his fan base, and they will follow him anywhere uh, as he uh, looks for more challenges. Uh, that's a phenomenon. That's mm-hmm. a phenomenon. Floyd Mayweather was a phenomenon. People loved him. People hated him. But people always paid to watch him. It always comes back to Howard Stern. This I always say this about Howard Stern. Half the audience tuned in because they loved him. A uh, big portion tuned in because they hated him. And then some tuned in just to see what he would say next. Didn't matter why they're tuning in as long as the ears and eyeballs are there, right? Absolutely. And there'll be a lot of eyeballs Saturday night. When Tyson Fury and Wilder go at it, uh, two great, great heavyweight fighters, two splendid young men. I mean, if you want to know why boxing has endured over the years and why it's a great sport, you've got to watch that fight 
on Saturday night. So you and I spoke a couple years ago before, I believe before the, the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, uh, about the amount of people that were calling you trying to get tickets, foreign dignitaries, celebrities, all and on down the list. What, what's been the demand like for, for, for tickets for this one, for this Wilder Fury fight? Absolutely tremendous. Absolutely Can you give us tremendous. some names? Who's reaching out? Well, you know, all, I mean, uh, you know, Fox, uh, uh, Rupert's son, Lachlan, is coming to the fight. All of the brass at ESPN are coming to the fight. Uh, all the companies, uh, Univision, Televisa, uh, Liberty, uh, besides all of the uh, actors and athletes that'll be there. I mean, it's a huge, huge turnout. Everything's at a premium. Jim Dolan is flying in from New York to be at the fight. Uh, one thing that gives me pause and uh, shudders is that our president uh, is speaking in Las Vegas at a rally on Friday night. And if he decides, he's a big fan, a boxing fan, and if he decides to stay over, uh, you know, he's the president, then he comes with security and everything. I don't know where the hell we're going to put all <laughs> We had the president of NASCAR on last week before the Daytona 500, and we were talking with him a little bit about kind of the preparation that has to happen if the president of the United States comes to your event. Donald Trump ended up going to the Daytona 500. What do you guys have to do? before the fight to to be able to accommodate you know all the security that comes along you, with you that. You do whatever the Secret happens. Service tells you to do. Well, what I would do is uh, I would go to the printer and uh, uh, print uh, a thousand Bloomberg signs and have the people in the audience hold them up. <laughs> uh, you know what, Bob? You've been around a long time, and I, and I like to do this with folks who have seen the maturation of a sport. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the maturation of a sport and an industry. What's your favorite story? Favorite story as far as what? Whether it's boxing, sports, ticketing. You tell me, athletes, you've dealt with a lot of folks. What's one of those? If you're at a cocktail party, um, you tell somebody, you know what, you got to hear this. Well, you know, I don't know whether I can really ratchet up because there's so many unbelievably <laughs> uh, great stories. Uh that uh, that I've experienced, uh, and I really think uh, that you know, I mean, forget stories because I can tell stories. Some of the off color, some aren't. I mean, Muhammad Ali with his attachment to the Nation of Islam, uh, George Foreman uh, resurrecting himself, coming back and winning the title at 45 years of age. And, you know, people were making fun of him when he came back, that he was fat and old. And uh, I told, I said, George, don't get upset. Make a joke of it. And, you know, uh, George had this wonderful way uh, of presenting himself to the public. And now I have Tyson Fury. I mean, Tyson Fury just listened to him. I mean, I can spend like an afternoon listening to this guy He's very, very intelligent. He's very funny. And unlike Ali, who spoke in cliches, he speaks in paragraphs. So I'm 
looking forward to the rest of this week because there will be a lot of opportunities for Tyson Fury to entertain uh, the public, to entertain the writers, and to entertain me. Bob, if last question for you. If you could, if, if everyone's contract in boxing right now was torn up, and I told you that you had free range of any two boxers to promote a fight that would make the most amount of money currently right now, what, what would be the fight that you think would be the biggest draw from a total dollars and cents international standpoint? Well, first, I would partner with uh, uh, ESPN and Fox. And secondly, I would select uh, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilde. <laughs> well, that works out well for but you I, then. <laughs> but I got to tell you, now I'm going to give you last on this because you said people made fun of George Foreman and they were surprised with the comeback and they made fun of him. But he understood, and I, I would wonder if other athletes, modern athletes, would learn, what if I had told you prior to him coming out with the George Foreman grill that licensing a name and using your personality to sell, if I had told you there was a second career in George Foreman in that, I think you might have laughed as well. I would have laughed as well. But again, I, and I'll tell you a story so we can end this. Uh, after he retired, George called me up, and he said, Bob, I got a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, well, they offered to buy my stock in the grill because when he started, they didn't have that much money to pay him, so they gave him stock. And I said, yeah. And I said, what did they offer you for it? He said something like $180 million. I said, George, what's the problem? He said, the problem is how do I make it capital gains? I said, George, <laughs> I stopped practicing tax law a long time ago. Get yourself a good tax lawyer, and they'll figure it out. And he said, great advice. Thank you. And he did, and they figured it out. And George probably is one of the wealthiest former fighters around today. That's a problem that I would love to have, trying to figure out the capital Absolutely. gains on a, on a payout Absolutely. like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Bob Arum, CEO of Top Rank Boxing, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. Okay, Scott, so my big takeaway from that interview, uh, boxers at the top level get paid a lot of money. <laughs> I think Bob Arum did a very That's good, your takeaway? Very, very good job of breaking down the way money works in this, right? For a big fight like the one that uh, on Saturday, U.S. TV money, pay-per-view, obviously the biggest revenue driver. You sell out $15, $16 million of gate. You get some pay-per-view in other countries, tack in the sponsorships, you tack in uh, the uh, the merchandise, you tack in some other things, and suddenly you're up to, to $200 million for, uh, for a big fight of that nature. My takeaway is Bob is really with it, man. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's up on new media. Yeah, I, I, I would not be surprised if Bob had himself a TikTok channel. <laughs> you know? We should have asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he he really was up on all new media, the different ways the fighters promote themselves. And really, how great is it when you can talk to a guy like Aram and ask, well, what would Muhammad Ali have done? Tell me about George Foreman. What about Mike Tyson? I mean, this is a guy who's really worked with the biggest and best and has seen the industry at its height, at, at, its, at its nadir, as sort of a resurgence and how technology is helping, and he addresses it all. There aren't a lot of people in sports who can do that, which is why I am so thrilled that we had David Stern on the show when mm. we did, because you really can't get that kind of perspective 
from that many people. Yeah. And and Aaron certainly was one of those who, who did it. And the kind of guy, boy, you just want to sit with for a few hours and say, as I asked him, tell me your favorite story, but I'd like to hear his top five and ten and exactly. with all the off-color stuff. Ringside also, yeah, ideally. Absolutely. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business and Sports, the number of the week. Time now for the number of the week, and you can play along at home. I'm going to give four clues to this. So, and every you know we have a time limit seconds, on the show, right? I know about right. every ten seconds. I'm going to move on to the next clue. Every ten <laughs> seconds? How every, about every two seconds? Okay, every two <laughs> seconds. Whatever. Uh, here's the first one. It was valued at six hundred fifty million dollars in 2015. Uh, okay. Uh, Low-level basketball team. Was that Iron Man? Wow. Oh, good guess. You're right. Good guess. Give, give me your, it's the term. What is happening? Wanda Sports, the uh, China-based sports marketing and event promoter, confirmed that it is engaging in preliminary discussions on a potential sale of its Iron Man triathlon business. I, I was going to give four. You would have gotten four, Evan. Okay. Because as the terms include Aquabike. Yes. Clydesdales <laughs> and negative split. I would, I would have gotten Clydesdales, that I would have said Budweiser. <laughs> I'm glad we got it. You have been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time. Scott is good. Plus, online, wherever you get your podcast, and you can catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. I'm Evan Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. And I'm Scott Soshnick. When you're proud of something I do, you're cavelling. Yes. <laughs> You're cavelling, and then you want to say you're verklempt. So watch the view, and now you'll get it all. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnik. Thanks for joining us. Please tune in next week when we speak with the biggest and brightest in the sports business industry. You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports, and you can catch the show wherever you get your podcasts.